Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers. Hook them up. 1019 AM 1260. The Horn. Hour two of our five-hour Monday morning conversation this 5th of February rolls on. Bottom of the hour, Jerry Hamilton will join us, our good friend inside Texas. Check that on three sports and, of course, the On Texas Football Channel where you'll find Jerry Hamilton. He's the senior recruiting analyst and uh, the best in the business at uh, On3 Sports, also on that On Texas Football channel. We'll talk to you about the big basketball win for Texas in the uh, the jumbled Big 12 halfway through the conference race. Also talking all things NFL. Super Bowl 58 is fast approaching now at six days away. Both the Niners and Chiefs have arrived in Sin City. And yes, I know you love it, Ty, but uh, last night, you know, Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs Taylor Swift did take home album of the year for her, her album Midnights. She was the uh, the big winner last night uh, at the Grammy Awards. I have no problem with that. That's yeah, she, that's, that's in her lane. I, I, like her like lane. I say, I've I've never been a hater of her music. Yeah. Well, I also we won't get into that. But, uh, <laughs> I did see it was one of the funniest things I saw from the weekend was uh, it was at Swifty, a Taylor Swift fan. Maybe we'll play this coming up. Uh, she she did a, a, a video where she got on there and said. Uh, yeah, I was at the Taylor Swift Eras concert, and all I wanted to see was Taylor Swift's music, and they kept flashing to Travis Kelsey, who was there to watch. And it was very, very well done. She, she did a play on people like you, Ty, who get frustrated and angry seeing Taylor Swift at a football game. It goes both it was ways. Very, very well done. It was very, very well done. Um, just kind of flipping it on people. But yeah, Taylor Swift did win last night, and uh, we just come out of what the facts. What the facts was uh, that's the fourth time she's won Album of the Year, Ty, and that's, she's the only performer ever to do that, four times. I mean, b- before last night, the only three had been like Frank Sinatra, and I can't remember the list, but she's now on the list of her own. With now multiple four. genres, too. Yeah, multiple genres. Album of the year. That's the biggest, biggest prize in music right there. She takes that home last night, coming off her billion-dollar heiress tour, which now she has out to Japan, where she's going to have some concerts and be back for the Super Bowl on Sunday. As we said, Miley Cyrus, Billie Eilish, and uh, Victoria Monet also won uh, Best New Artist. So it's you know, the females did very, very well last night in uh, – if you saw the nominations, that's not surprising, by the way. Um, but uh, there was your night in music. We've got your night in football and basketball, Ty. Uh, let me ask you this, and we'll get into the headlines, get everybody caught up, and then we'll talk to Jerry at the bottom of the hour. Rod Babers, if you're just tuning in, is out today. He's getting some dental work done. He'll be back with us on Wednesday. But, Ty, uh, Mike Fisher, Cowboys insider for Sports Illustrated, um, had, a, had a quote that says, Jerry Jones is planning for a home run hire at his defensive coordinator position, which name, which of these following names would you put into the category of home run for Jerry Jones replacing Dan Quinn as the defensive coordinator? Uh, here's what is expected. Mike Zimmer, the former head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, former Cowboys D.C., is expected to interview at 67 years old. Former Titans head coach Mike Vrabel, according to some reports, will we'll interview this week for that post. Former Washington head coach Ron Rivera and former Chargers head coach Brandon Staley are all expected to interview this week. Any of those, would they be in the category of home run higher for you? I, th- I mean, Vrabel, obviously. I think if you can put him in that spot and, and kind of have a, a similar situation, I'm sure the narrative would be the same as um, it has been with Dan Quinn, where if, if Mike McCarthy fails again, you know, Vrabel maybe takes over. Um, but, I, I mean, he's, he's my clear-cut choice. But beyond him, I think, I think Staley would be a good option. I mean, a guy that needs to prove himself again as a coordinator after – failing pretty pretty hard in uh in san diego and la so 
Uh, but Rabel, Rabel's a guy. If you can go get him, that would be, in my mind, a, a home run. I would say it's interesting to me that Brandon Staley, you know, he was a failed head coach with the Chargers. I think we'd all agree with that. But before he was there, he was with the Rams, right? And they won the Super Bowl with Sean McVay. And that's what launched him to get that Chargers job. Seen as an up-and-coming, you know, I know Sean McVay kind of coach, but he was on the defensive side. It didn't work out. But the Rams had an opening at defensive coordinator, and they did not rehire him. They talked to him, but they hired uh, Don Shula's son, Chris Shula. How about that name? How about nepotism in the NFL? Chris Shula is now the defensive coordinator of the Rams, and that leaves Brandon Staley available. Uh, there was also talk that maybe the Miami Dolphins would bring in Brandon Staley to replace Vic Fangio, who took the, the Eagles job. But they, they went a different direction as well to hire Anthony Weaver. So you wonder if there's a little bit of stain on Brandon Staley right now for whatever reason. Obviously, he did not do a great job as a head coach of the Chargers. Uh, but the name that is percolated the most through the weekend that I saw, Ty, was, was Mike Zimmer. Yeah, that's, w- that's my least favorite of the options. Uh, you know, he's, he's a really good coach, and there's, you always got to remember Jerry Jones and someone he's familiar with. He is familiar, obviously, with Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer was with the Cowboys back, you know, in the Parcells era before going off to be a head coach and did a pretty good job, obviously, with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, you know, had them close to a Super Bowl on an occasion or two um, and really can coach defense is what you're looking for. Uh, but that's the name that we've heard, and, again, familiarity with, with – and the, the the Jones family would be interesting here. We'll take your thoughts on that. The uh, text line is open at 512-447-3776 with Dan Quinn in Washington now with Joe Witt Jr. Were you disappointed that the Cowboys didn't move quicker on Joe Witt? I think, I think Dan Quinn really has a high opinion of him. That would have kept the uh, system in place, essentially, that Dan Quinn had installed. There wouldn't have been a lot of change to what they were doing to, to promote the uh, the secondary coach and passing game coordinator. Did they miss one there in your mind? No, I mean I'm happy for him. I would have loved to have him back, but I don't think that's the home run hire that that Jerry's looking for, or that or the fan base is. You know, we we need something to, to chew on for the rest of the off season before the draft. I think a home run hire from Jerry is uh, is the number one priority right now. And Joe Witt wasn't that. Well, we know that the home runniest is that a word? Home runnest? Home runnest? The big the, the grand slam hire would be Bill Belichick, right? Oh yeah, if they, if that is not going to happen. Bill Belichick, no. I know. Well, what I think home run, Brable obviously would be. But Vrabel might put – I mean, obviously, I don't know if Jerry cares, but if you hire Mike Vrabel, the immediate intention would be, okay, this is your replacement for Mike McCarthy when things don't go well early next year or whenever. Mike McCarthy's hired – I mean, he, that, you just hired his replacement. Uh, with, with Mike Zimmer at 67, 68 years old, that may not be the case, and they may, you know, collaborate a little bit more. Because, and look, there's no familiarity with Mike, Mike Vrabel. I mean, as far as working together, uh, Jerry Jones had never worked with Mike Vrabel. Um, he certainly has worked with Mike Zimmer before, and so we'll keep an eye on that. Ron Rivera also in that conversation, uh, as we said, though. But the, uh, the, the Cliff Kingsbury to the Washington Commanders, along with Dan Quinn, along with Joe Witt, is interesting to me. Uh, we will certainly follow the developments from around the NFL. Let's get to the other top stories and headlines as we get you cranked up on this Monday morning. Top Gun Rentals, a lot of women bring it to you. We start with college basketball. What a weekend. We'll start yesterday at the Moody Center where the Texas women posted their second straight huge win. Of course, they beat Baylor on Thursday night in Waco and then turned around and beat the second-ranked team in the country yesterday at the Moody Center. Kansas State was the opponent, 61-54 final. The phenomenal freshman Madison Booker again led the Longhorns with 20 points and 6 assists. Aliyah Moore and Taylor Jones combined for 23 points and 23 rebounds. The Longhorns approved 8-3 in Big 12 play, 21-3 overall. Huge win on Saturday, of course, for the Texas men. What a weekend it was in the topsy-turvy Big 12. Uh, on Saturday alone, five ranked teams in the nation's best conference lost 
to lower or unranked teams uh, on Saturday. Uh, that included in Fort Worth, where the Longhorns went in and put an end to TCU's four-game winning streak with a thrilling 77-66 win. It was a back-and-forth game for sure. Longhorns surged to an 11-point lead at the half. They're up 43-32. Second half, TCU, the homestanding Frogs rally, tied the game at 57. Texas responded with a quick 7-0 run. Looked like they were going to pull away. It was TCU counter with a 7-0 run of their own, tied the game at 64. And then with under four minutes to play, it was Max Aismas, the Longhorn senior. The sharpshooter went absolutely radioactive, took over the game, converted an old-school three-point play, then drilled a pair of long threes, a 9-0 spurt in three possessions, put the Longhorns up nine. He also drained four free throws, and the Longhorns finished the game on a 13-2 run. All 13 points scored by Max Aismas. Uh, also on Saturday, Houston, Texas Tech, OU, and the Longhorns' next opponent, Iowa State, lost to lower or unranked teams. So at the halfway point of the conference, as we mentioned, only two games separate the top 12 teams and the 14-team Big 12. No nights off indeed. Uh, Texas will host Iowa State tomorrow night at Moody Center. Also on Saturday, the preseason 16th-ranked Texas baseball team rallied for five runs in the bottom of the sixth to claim a 7-4 win over the Texas X's in the annual alumni game at UFC Dishfall Field. Peyton Powell hit a game-time three-run homer as part of that five-run burst. David Pierce's Longhorns will open the 2024 season with a three-game series against the University of San Diego February 16th. In golf, Wyndham Clark has been declared the 54-hole winner at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Uh, they canceled play yesterday because of severe weather in the uh, on the West Coast. PGA Tour officials decided not to resume the tournament today due to those severe storms. Uh, winds at Pebble Beach strong enough to damage the TV towers and knock out course signage. And it's official now. The 2026 World Cup here in uh, North America, will, the final will take place at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. FIFA officials revealed the full schedule for the 48-team tournament yesterday. U.S. has 78 games in all. Canada and Mexico will share 13 apiece. AT&T Stadium in Arlington missed out on the final, but will host a tournament-high nine matches in that building, including four in the knockout round. Horn headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. A new year and a new store. Come see our new beauty location at 200 Trademark Drive to rent, buy, or repair any construction and lawn equipment you need. Topgun.net. We'll shoot you straight. All right, good. Uh, we appreciate your message. It says, guys, remember, Zimmer was the D.C. before Parcells, and Parcells kept him. Switched from a 4-3 to a 3-4. Yeah, it's a good point. Really good point. Uh, this says, Bill Belichick will be the D.C. for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, this says, E, saw the Eagles Saturday night at Moody Center. Amazing. Vince Gill was a great decision on their part. Uh, I, I, did you know anybody who went to see the Eagles tie on Friday or Saturday at Moody Center? Um, I had a, my, some of my, one of my friend's parents went. They said it was great. It was, it was an awesome time. Yeah, I, I tried to. I know our buddy Nick Shuley from the our tickets list were ATX. ridiculously expensive. Yeah, I looked. They, I looked know. ten minutes before the show started, and they were still going for like five to seven hundred dollars. Is that right? Well, and you know, we know the great Glenn Fry, one of the co-founders with Don Henley of the Eagles, passed away. But uh, yeah, Vince Gill, the great country musician and uh, guitar player and, and vocalist, uh, he has has been added to replace the the vocals of Glenn Fry. And does an amazing job, I've heard. And of course, Glenn Fry's son actually is on tour and is in the band as well. Uh, but it's just the Eagles, man. It's just hit after hit. And they're amazing songs and performed by amazing musicians. It's about all you can ask for. And that's why those tickets are so... They, they deliver every single time. And uh, unfortunately, didn't get to see it. I did get to see, though, as I mentioned, Ty, I went to the Rodeo Gala on Saturday night. I don't know if you've ever been to, able to attend that, but it's kind of the launch of the the Rodeo and Rodeo Austin, which comes up next month out uh, at the Expo Center. So they had the gala at the Palmer Event Center, and my friend Charlie Wilson at Callahan's General Store invited us and let us sit at his table. We had a great time. And you know who performed the, mus- the musical to act that night, Ty, on Saturday? Yeah. was uh, the great Robert Earl Keene. Oh. Great Robert Earl Keene. Um, 
one of the great Aggies. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah, he's 68 years old and kind of like the Eagles, man. Just keeps on, keeps on trucking. Looks great. Sounds great. And uh, had a good seat, a good, uh, good, good view of that show on Saturday night for about an hour and 20 minutes, and uh, that was good. So it was good to see Robert O'Keefe, the Eagles, the Grammys. And this is the first no football weekend, Ty. Were you feeling it? And you said you had a heavy, heavy drinking day on Saturday in East Austin, uh, just uh, holding it down. Uh, that's I was going to. I, I mean, thing, right? I went Thursday to Saturday this week. I haven't done that in a long time. It was a, it was Whoa. expensive weekend, but no, I, my, <laughs> my girlfriend probably can't say the same. She had a rough uh, Friday night, but I. Uh-oh. I, I'm feeling good right now. I'm feeling refreshed. Here's a text on the text line. We appreciate your conversation. Jerry Hamilton, bottom of the hour, says, Caleb Williams of the Commanders, I'm assuming, with Kingsbury Hire. We talked about that last hour. That was immediately my thought, and I started digging into it. You wonder, because look, the reports last week were that Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback, doesn't want to play in Chicago. Uh, he's not interested in the Bears. And he's going to try to leverage and, you know, pain, is it pain in the ass his way out of not being picked there. I don't know how much I mean, the Bears may not care. They own the pick. They can take him if they want. And what is Caleb Williams' leverage? I don't, I don't know. Uh, but now Washington, who owns the second pick, um, has hired Cliff Kingsbury. And Washington is Caleb Williams' preferred stated destination, according to his father. Of course, that's where he grew up, right? He grew up in that area, played high school football there before going to Oklahoma and then to USC. So, uh, you know, could there be a trade Swap picks one and two, deal done. Caleb Williams ends up where he wants to be. Cliff Kingsbury, who was, a, of course, a, an advisor on Lincoln Riley's staff this past year and has a relationship with Caleb, that would be a natural fit. And then the Bears you know, could still take a quarterback, obviously, but it wouldn't be Caleb Williams. So we'll follow that. Got several months, but that was my immediate thought when Cliff Kingsbury, because remember, he was, he was bound for the Raiders. As of Friday, he was going to land with the Raiders coaching their offense, and instead he ends up uh, with the Washington Commanders by Sunday. You wonder if there's something in the works there because, you know, what, what lured Caleb, you know, is there already talks going on between the Bears and the Washington Commanders, and, you know, they're far enough to where, I don't know, maybe they think they're going to get Cliff, you know, land at Caleb Williams, which is why they were able to get the Cliff Kingsbury deal done. That's just speculation at this point on this Monday, uh, looking towards the draft process. Uh, all right, Ty, can we, uh, you know, take folks through this? If you, you, you saw this game, uh, hopefully you got a chance to see it on Saturday. If you didn't, let's take you through some of the highlights. This was Longhorn basketball uh, playing at TCU, coming off of that uh, heartbreaking overtime loss to Houston this past Monday, and you kind of knew you, know, you can't keep, keep giving up ground in this conference. The Longhorns have to start winning some of these close games, uh, and boy, did they ever. This was pretty incredible. All right, so as I mentioned in the headlines, Ty, the game was tied at 64. Texas was up 11 at the half. TC really dominated the first part of the second half, got back and tied the game. Texas went on a 7-0 spurt, spurned mainly by, or led mainly by Tyrese Hunter, who had, a, had five of those seven points. And then, but TCU responded immediately. It was just one of these back and forth games that was, you know, a blast to watch. Uh, they go on a 7-0 run. So all of a sudden it's 64 all. Let me take you through this. This was unreal. So Max Ace missed tie. The, the transfer from Oral Roberts, who went past Danny Manning in this game on the nation, the NCAA's all-time scoring list, uh, he makes, you know, you're talking about take over a basketball game. We've seen guys like Steph Curry do this. Gosh, back in his freshman year, the one year we saw Kevin Durant do this at times. Um, so Max Acemas, when it was tied at 64, there was a, the Longhorns turned the ball over um, out near the, you know, the, the top of the key. Uh, Max Aismas was, was at the top of the key himself and raced back, got under the basket, and made a steal, a defensive play that was just incredible. I mean, the, uh, this is going to be a dunk or you know, an and one for TCU, and they're going to take a lead. Instead, Max Aismas with a quick hand swipes the ball, forces a steal, and then races back down on the other end and 
you know, makes a, a, a bucket and gets fouled. So he gets a three-point play of his own. So a six-point swing right there potentially, certainly as many as five-point swing in a close game uh, with under what, about three and a half to play. The three-point play, Longhorns up three. Well, the Longhorns go back, get a stop tie. They come back down. Can we play this? This was, uh, this was big time because the Longhorns clearly wanted to get Max Asmus another shot uh, up three. And uh, the, the, the t- TCU responded by putting Bridges, their, their guard that transferred in from Texas Tech, on him. And he's a bigger guard. I mean, this is, this is size on Max Asmus, which should impact him. Let's hear how this sounded as the, clock shot, clock, uh, the shot clock was running down. Asmus, three to shoot. Step back. Got it! One of the best tough shot takers and makers in college. Asmus. There, yeah, there it was. So he, he, he's, he's fading away into the Longhorn bench from the uh, right elbow of the three-point line with a bigger man in his face and just drained it. I mean, it was nothing but the net. Couldn't have been more true. And all of a sudden, the Longhorns go from, you know, before the steal, looking like they're going to be down in this game. Now they're up six. They go back down the other way, Ty, and get another stop. This is where the defense ratcheted up. Now, I thought Dylan Mitchell was very active on that end of the floor. I thought the guards were really active on defense, and they force another stop and get the rebound, take it back down, and here it is, Ty. Max Asmus just feeling it now. And in this, you can't, this is obviously radio, but listen to this one. He is, he is about 40 feet away from the basket, I guess, 35. He's standing on the T and the TCU logo at the middle of the floor. And listen to the, how this went as the Longhorn. This was the dagger of the game. Tie the game. There was. The, I don't even think the announcer, the, the play-by-play guy on ESPN was watching because he was so far from the basket. And he saw the defender just kind of you know, bleed off of him a little bit, you know, back up a little, and he took it. Uh, and he nailed it. It's one of those shots that if he, you know, as it goes, goes off his hand, you're thinking, oh, geez. Um, but he makes it. So now that's a nine-point game. At that point, it was just free throws for the Longhorns. And uh, Max Ace was made all four. And uh, he's a great free throw shooter, almost 90% from the floor. Uh, I don't know, Ty. This felt like one of those games that may end up being the, the pivot point to the season, right? I mean, the, the one and three start to conference play, but now that win puts them at three and two in this stretch of ranked opponents. And if they can follow that up with a win over Iowa State on, on tomorrow night, which is Tuesday night, you know, that, that game right there, that you know, three minute stretch from Max Asmus may be a pivot point to the Longhorn season. I agree. And to do it in an arena where, you know, would they have 500? Horn Sound T-shirts yes. handed out. It, it, it was uh, it was a good way to get out of uh, Fort Worth the last time with the double digit victory. I'm I'm, well, I'm, right. I'm feeling more and more confident uh, each and every week with this team. Yeah, if they just continue to shore up their physicality down low, shore up their defense, win at home. We know when, and we know they can score. I mean, that's the thing. This team can score. Um, they can score the basketball. They you know they shot over fifty percent against the Houston defense on Monday night. They can score, but what they couldn't do against Houston was rebound, right? They couldn't protect their glass, and they gave up too many offensive boards and too many putbacks and, and second-chance points, which you know, 19 second-chance second points ended up being the difference in that game against the Cougars. Uh, this game, they played more physically on the interior, and they held a team who's, who averages over 80 points a game in Big 12 play to 66. If, that's, if they can combine those things, they're a scary team because it was Kelvin Sampson who, after the Houston you know, win, said, man, that's a really talented team. I mean, that is a really good basketball team. And that's, that's why we said on Friday they feel like they're right there, but they also kind of feel because they were 3-5 and five at the time, you're thinking, man, they're right there, but they're a mile away because if they don't beat TCU, they're going to be 3-6. and six. Then they're coming back home for Iowa State. But, man, to get that victory, as you said, they did have the 500 upside-down Longhorn, you know, horns-down T-shirts that the student section was wearing. 
Um, you know, those students, Ty, you were a student at one point, but they were they lined up at like 3 in the morning to get tickets to be in that student section to get a good seat. Um, then that, those are the kind of wins. That, that's a cojones win to go on the road in that environment. Probably the last time you're going to play in that arena for who knows how long, maybe ever, uh, as you come to an end in the Big 12. And to, to get that victory and have Max Aismas and so many guys who stepped up in those moments, but certainly the senior, it does feel like a team that maybe is turning the corner a little bit here. Yeah, I'm happy with that performance, especially after a lackluster performance against Houston, like we talked about earlier with the physicality, uh, you know, ramping that up against CCU. I, I'm, I'm excited. I just win, win the games you should win and win at home, and I think this team should definitely be a, a tournament team. It's a pretty awesome day of basketball if you were watching because that game rolled right into the Kansas-Houston game at Fog Allen Fieldhouse, which Kansas pretty much dominated but won. It was a great environment. You had the Duke-North Carolina game. Do you see who was sitting next to each other on the front row of that game, Ty? You I didn't. Had the – uh, at the North Car- it was game was at North Carolina. They beat Duke, and um, you had Sam Howell, the current Washington Commanders oh, yeah, quarterback, sitting this. next to Drake May, the maybe future Washington Commanders quarterback. We just talked about the Caleb Williams deal, but if Caleb Williams goes to the Bears at one, the Washington Commanders very well could draft Drake May at number two. But, yeah, those two were hanging out. Of course, both Mac Brown quarterbacks at North Carolina that was cool to see but yeah Carolina won and then how about uh, former Longhorn coach Rick Barnes his Tennessee team beat up on Kentucky on Saturday night and uh, never trailed never trailed in that basketball game that that's a team to watch they looked good I did, I did see that game I was watching that one at Driftwood they uh, they that's a team that that's probably a top three championship contender in my eyes at this point from what I've seen I think most people would say UConn is the best team in the country the defending champs and with Danny Hurley in their back I mean they're really good uh, but that Tennessee team, I mean, Rick, we know what Rick Barnes' teams are all about, right? Their their defense, rebounding, just in your face, you know. But they, they come tournament time, they tend to underperform because they don't have a great offense. This is a Tennessee team that's got the Rick Barnes staples, but feels like it's got more offense. Uh, the guy Ziegler's back playing point guard for them. They got the the, Fred, the the transfer kid, the 6'6 kid, that's an absolute bucket. Uh, I like that Tennessee team, big picture to see. And we like what this Longhorn basketball team is doing. Coming back, we're going to talk to Jerry Hamilton. This says, uh, I think Rodney Terry's doing good. Saw Tennessee Duke had four or five losses and are in the top ten. I think college hoops is just really uh, deep right now. They'll be fine as the season goes. Well, that's true. I mean, that's, that's what we were saying the last week, because I understand people are frustrated with Rodney Terry right now. But, you know, it's, it's a long season. His team last year after the Chris Beard, they got through the Chris Beard, you know, controversy and off-court stuff where they had to move on from him in January, in early January. You know, by this time into February and into the Big 12 tournament, they were playing their best basketball. And that's what your hope is for this team. And we're going to talk to Jerry about that coming up, that they're finding their chemistry. Uh, they're finding and defining their roles. Kendall Weaver, uh, the, the UT Arlington transfer, started the game on Saturday, so maybe that's something that carries over. Uh, Dylan Mitchell is playing with more and more um, confidence, I think would be the word I'd put on it. He still probably turns the ball a little, a little bit too much, but, man, he's so active. He's so athletic. Uh, he had another double-double on Saturday in that game against TCU. And, you know, Dylan DeSue and Max Aismas are two of the better offensive players in the country. So, you know, your offense can run through those two guys. If everybody else, you know, plays their role – uh, I think you're going to be a tough team to, to contend with and, uh, on a night-in, night-out basis. We'll talk to Jerry about that coming up. This says, uh, where's Rod Babers? Rod Babers is uh, getting his wisdom teeth out today. So 
you know, he, he's, he's having a, a less fun day than you will, I would imagine. Even if you're having a little case of the Mondays, uh, Rod Babers Monday is, is going to be uh, more painful than yours, I guarantee you. Uh, we'll come back. When we do, we'll talk to Jerry. We'll talk some college basketball and some recruiting. Wednesday is National Signing Day, after all, as far as the, uh, the late window. Is there anything percolating there from uh, late in the week, there, or, you know, early as we start our week for what's coming Wednesday? We'll talk to G-Man about that coming up. Plus some bullish or BS for the end of the hour. It's Hook'em Up with Ian Rod B on a Monday. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. It's good, bad, and ugly on a Monday. Hope you had a lot of good over the weekend, even without a lot of football. First weekend without it in uh, a lot, quite a while. But uh, we had folks who went to the Eagles concert, uh, rodeo galas. Ty was down at the uh, Driftwood. What, what is it, the Driftwood? Uh, I guess you could, uh, Social Club, he calls it. Social Club. That's, uh, you're rubbing elbows, man, because uh, Driftwood, of course, is a beautiful new private exclusive golf club out in Driftwood, Texas, but they do have the uh, downtown social club. Good job. Good job by you, Ty. That's a way to weasel your way I in. I always find my way in. You seem to find your way in. Oh, man. Hope everybody had a great weekend and uh, whatever you were doing to, to fill your football void. Uh, basketball was certainly there with the Longhorns and um, the Big 12. That, that, that day of basketball on Saturday was pretty darn good. And then... Um, was hoping to watch some golf yesterday, but man, the uh, the, the the weather on the West Coast is a mess. We're kind of crossing our fingers and praying for the folks there on the on the West Coast of so that storm that's rolled in. Uh, Wyndham Clark is your winner, and after just three rounds, they they're done at Pebble Beach, and the weather is a mess all up and down the California coast and up into you know, Oregon and Washington with severe storms and. Um, looked like it could be a pretty dangerous situation there, so we're keeping our eyes there, and they're not going to play that fourth round uh, of golf, so didn't get to see that, but did uh, get a lot of work done and uh, watch some hoops. Uh, with that in mind, let's go to the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline. Uh, he is one of our favorites. We've leaned on him a little bit here with Rod being out uh, today. He is our He's the senior national recruiting analyst with On3 Sports. He's also a big part of the On Texas Football YouTube channel, which is blowing it away, doing a great job. He is Jerry Hamilton. Jerry, happy Monday. How are you, man? I'm good, man. Yeah, I heard Rod's running the four-hour offense this morning. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be all hopped up on goofballs. You know what I'm saying? Uh, getting those... <laughs> he's getting his four wisdom teeth out. He's running the four-out offense. Yeah, man, that's going to be. Have you where, where 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 do you stand with your wisdom teeth? I still have mine in my in my head here. Where where do you have you ever had yours out? I told her odd last night on Texas football. I was like, dude, I like that's like very late in life to have your wisdom teeth out. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, are his growth plates still open? Is he going to be like six one in a year from now or something? <laughs> I had yeah, mine so, out when I was seventeen, I think eighteen. You know, I I never did. I still have mine, so uh, they're still rocked in it, rocked in there. And ready there to you go. go. But to, hey, what did you make of the game on Saturday? Ty and I talked about it, and uh, you know, kind of feels like it could be a turning point to the Longhorn season. Coming off the tough loss to Houston, uh, looking at a tough road environment where they had the the student section was all jacked up with their uh, up, up, you know upside down horn T-shirts and whatnot. Man, to win that ball game, to do it the way they did with Max Aismas going absolutely radioactive there in the last four minutes, uh, that just feels like a, such a confidence builder for the Horns. What did you see Saturday? Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about it before, but, you know, as long as they play through Acemus. Sorry. Have to call him back there. Yeah, call him back. That sounded like we got disconnected, obviously. And that that came pretty quick. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll get Jerry Hamilton uh, uh, reestablished. The call drop. This... I'm here. Oh, there you, there you go. Hey, Jerry. Yeah. Jerry's. 
You still here? All right. Sorry. Okay. You were talking about yeah, if I'm they here. can play through. Go ahead. If you pick up that conversation, you were talking yeah. about if they can play yeah. through Asmus and Desu. I, I think they can play through Desu uh, and Asmus. I think that they have the ability to score enough points. And I always look at 75 as the magic number. If you can score 75 points in talent neutralized or close talent neutralized situations on the road or neutral, you can win a lot of games. And Texas offensively does have that ability. I mean, they put up 77 at TCU, right? I mean, that is a really good number. They shot 51% from the field. Now, 50 from three. Brock Cunningham, 2-2. Two of two. It was nice to see him hit a couple of threes, right? Max with the two late ones. Uh, Dylan hit a couple of threes as well. Then 13 of 15 from the free throw line. So what that did by them having a little better than average game from three and the free throw line is they overcame overcome 16 turnovers, a lot of those unforced, just poor turnovers uh, by Texas in that game. But if they play through Dissou and Asmus and everybody else plays complementary around those guys, Texas can score the basketball at the level needed to win games against quality opponents. I mean, that is the bottom line with this team. The key there, too, the third key with that to me is if they can hang, if they can be average on the boards, you know, if they can if they can create a net zero, or if they're plus on the on the boards, they are they have a chance to have some a really good close to the season. That's the key because look, with two smaller guards, you have to have elite rim protection behind them to be a great defensive team. That Texas doesn't have that, um, so they have to rebound the ball well. They have to match physicality. I think the TCU game came, coming after the Houston game was probably a good thing. Because U of H plays bully ball and beat them up a little bit, so Texas came into the TCU game with uh, with the the objective to be physical, and they were more physical in that game. Obviously, they weren't playing Houston, but they were more physical in that game. So if you put all that together, this team has a chance to win a lot of games, and they're going to have to because the rest of the schedule is just brutal. I mean, this, but this is a huge week coming up. Aaron for Texas. I mean, if they can, they're now four and four in quad one wins. It was two weeks ago we were saying, is this team an NCAA tournament team? And at the time I said, you know, if you look at bracketology, they're not. But now if you what you wake up this morning and you open up Ken Pomroy, Texas is 26. You look at Bart Torvik's rankings, Texas is 22. You look at NCAA net, Texas is 32. They're four and four in quad one games. And they have a bunch of quad one games left. And one of those is Tuesday night against Iowa State, who's a very good team. Not a good free throw shooting team, but a very good team overall. Yeah, I mean, uh, huge wins. Three three quad one wins on the road, which is uh, impressive as well. And we'll yes. see a little bonus for that with Cincinnati, OU, and now TCU. And it's funny how it seems like they do play better on the road than at home right now. I will say those those couple of those home losses came very early in conference play when they were still trying to you know build some chemistry with Dylan DeSue and get him back inserted into this this lineup. And uh, it does feel like they found it. Boy, well, what you saw from Max Acemus, Jerry, in those final you know, four possessions, that's why if this team does make the tournament, which they turned a big corner on on Saturday, they're a handful because Max Acemus led Oral Roberts to the Sweet 16. That guy can get on a heater, and that's the kind of guard play and, and scoring that will win games come tournament time. And you can run a two-man game with him and Sue when it counts. Down the stretch of games in the NCAA tournament, that is huge because both guys can shoot the three. Both guys make free throws. And it's not often you have a big that can stretch the floor and knock down the three, and then if you foul him, he goes and knocks down the free throws as well. So they have a great two-man game to attack with 
when the time comes where they need to do that. And then you can put the ball in the right guy's hands at the end of the game and know they're going to knock down free throws. That's a huge thing. So if you ever get up and TCU had the foul, they have to foul. They had to foul Max Aceman. And what he knocked down four or four there at the end of the game to really keep that lead stretched. And Jamie Dixon pretty much, he pretty much called the dogs off it with 35 seconds left, right? Uh, but yes, that, that gives them the ability. And I think moving Hunter off the ball and Max on the ball has been big as well because I think it's given that offense more flow. I think the ball in his hands, people have to hard hedge out the 27, 28 feet on him. And they have to blitz ball screens, and that's creating a lot of open floor space for everybody else. And I think that's a good thing. And I'll say this, Aaron, the next two weeks are huge for this basketball team. I'll just run it down. You have Iowa State, our top 15 team at home Tuesday. You have West Virginia, who will limp in to Austin Saturday. You go to Houston, and then you have Kansas State at home, who's struggling as well. If Texas, and they haven't been able to do it, if they can win their three home games, I mean, they're then going to move all – in this bracketology, Joe Lombardi's bracketology, if they win three in the next four games, they're going to be sitting on the sixth seed line in no time. I mean, that's how much things can change in the Big 12 because it's such a great conference. Yeah, uh, that stretch. Obviously, that game at Houston is a challenge and daunting, but uh, the others at home and uh, – Biggest game of that stretch is tomorrow night with Iowa State coming as a top 15 That's team. Right. Uh, we'll look forward to that and preview it for sure. Uh, Jerry Hamilton with us, uh, the best, and the senior uh, recruiting analyst at On3 Sports, also with the On Texas Football Channel. Hey, I saw where Dane Brugler, theathletic.com, uh, named Tavondre Sweat the best defensive tackle in, in uh, Mobile. Uh, he he kind of gave out senior bowl performers by position and said Tavondre Sweat at 360 uh, was the best D tackle there. Uh, are you are you are you bullish on Tavondre Sweat as a as a top 30 kind of draft pick, first round pick, in c- come April? I, I'm not right now. I I don't think it. I, I'm not saying it's not. It's out of the question. I think it's possible, but I, I think there's some weight concerns there, and uh, and, and the NFL's thinking is he just a first and second down player. If that is the conclusion at the end of it, he, he, he's going to need that test interview well down the stretch, too. And not that that testing really matters. We're not talking 40 times. We're talking 10-yard splits, shuttles, all those type of things. But, um, you know, if he can drop a little bit of weight, uh, that will help him. But I think right now I'm more in the second to third round with him. I think Byron Murphy is the more likely first-round guy because he's a little bit – he's a better pass rusher. Um, so I think the key, that's the key with Tavondre Sweat, is if there's a teams that need a first, second round, first, second down guy, then I can, I can see him moving up their board. But if he's considered just a first and second down player, I could actually see him slide in late second, early third. Interesting. Uh, that senior bowl, obviously draft, the draft begins in Mobile, as they say, uh, with that senior bowl. Uh, real quick before I ask you a couple other college football questions, what do you make of the, the quarterback struggles there? Bo Nix and Michael Penix apparently both uh, underwhelmed. Um, you know, they were talking about slippery ball or whatever and other things and lack of familiarity with receivers. But uh, uh, in the end, it was Spencer Rattler who, according to Dane Brugler, was the best quarterback all week in, in, uh, in Mobile. How does that, does that change anything for you? We know Caleb Williams and Drake May and Jaden Daniels are at the top, but Penix and Bo Nix, what are your thoughts on the, on the quarterback class? Yeah, you know, Penix is a guy that obviously has been popular on, on Texas football YouTube channel and, and, and talking with Texas fans. I, I thought if Texas fans only watched him against Texas, they think he's a great player. I've never been in that opinion. I think Kalen DeBoer did such a great job putting him in a position to succeed uh, that I, I'm not sure his 
his game translates. I'm not saying he's not going to make it in the NFL. I'm not sure his game translates as well as maybe some people think it does. I, I, I think when he's under duress, his accuracy drops a lot. Um, I think when he's comfortable in the pocket, he is very good. But the pl- second that at the the point where you can put him under duress and make him throw it on the move, his accuracy numbers go way down. And I think you know the NFL's all, all they're looking for is warts, right? I mean, they've seen the good tape; they're looking for warts. Um, and so I, I think it'll be interesting how he's kind of graded as this process goes along. Um, you know, Bo Nix, right? He played in a really good scheme at Oregon. Is that scheme what the NFL is going to look like? No, not really. Um, I think Bo Nix has talent. I think he's got really good uh, functional athleticism at the position. Um, do I think either one of those guys are going to go on to be stars in the NFL? I don't. I could be completely wrong. I don't think Rattler is either, by the way. Um, so I think the top of this quarterback draft – and look, I, I'm, I'm, Aaron, I'm a little different on Caleb Williams. I think he is a tremendous talent. Um, do I think he's going to be a great player? I'm, I'm not willing to say that. I, I think there's some, some flags for me there, um, you know, with him. So I, I think it's going to be very interesting draft uh, because you're, the quarterbacks are going to go high. Caleb Williams, Drake May. I think Drake May has a lot of NFL upside with his game. but And, and Jaden Daniels, obviously. But I'm not sure I see a great player in that group. Uh, that's just me. I could be wrong. Uh, Jerry Hamilton with us. Hey, Jerry, let me ask you this, too, because uh, one of the things we've talked about a lot on, on Texas football and here on uh, with Rod and myself is 2024 in this next six months is big for college football. I do believe with, you know, the, the conference consolidation all happening in July when, you know, the Texas and OU join the SEC and the Big 12 adds there four new and, you know, the Big 10 goes to 18, ACC goes to 18, uh, plus the big TV deals kick in with ESPN and Fox and everything. Um, you know, we know they've got to put some some restrictions on this. They've got to put some guardrails on this system right now. And the late Friday, kind of a Friday dump, um, the announcement came down that the SEC and the Big Ten are forming an advisory group to address issues in college sports. Uh, and according to Greg Sankey, this is an alliance between the two biggest conferences. It says it's uh, the challenges, including but not limited to recent court decisions, pending litigation, a patchwork state of law or patchwork of state laws, complex governing proposal. Is this the first step? I guess is my question to to actually doing something about what's going on. Uh, we've asked who's going to do it. Uh, would this be when the Big Ten and the uh, SEC get together and say, look, we have to come to to an agreement on how we're going to run this thing? What do you what do you make of what came down on Friday? Yeah, I I think this is the first power play by the conferences uh, versus the NCAA a little bit is what I'm seeing. Um, And I I thought thought all along we're headed to two 24-team super conferences in college football, and everybody else is going to go by the wayside. Um, And I think this is clearly where it's headed. I think this is another sign uh, for that with me. Uh, But I'm not a guy that will have all the answers on this topic, that's for sure. I think Bobby Burton has more thoughts on this uh, maybe than I do. But I do think this is the first time we're, we're really seeing the Big Ten and the SEC, which are going to be your two power conferences long-term in college football, kind of say, all right, we're going we are going to take, in our own way, we're going to take control of this. Um, and so I think the battle started is essentially what just happened on Friday. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Hopefully it's the first step of many because this is, you know, it, you know, season's over. Now it's about, you know, the, the, the school presidents meet for their winter and spring meetings. The conferences get together. Uh, that's where a lot of these, you know, really heavy and important conversations can be had because obviously we know there, there has to be some guardrails put into what's currently happening, the wild, wild west, and what's going on right now with portals and NIL just n- not sustainable long term. It's good. There are good, there are good growth ideas for college football, but they need some, some structure, obviously, and someone to control that structure and maybe the first step on that came down on Friday. Hey, Jerry, we appreciate it, my friend. We know you got uh, coffee and football coming up with the On Texas channel coming up at 8 o'clock. Thanks so much for the visit again and uh, the insight on Texas hoops and uh, a little college football. Thanks, my friend. You got it, guys. Thanks. All right, Jerry Hamilton, there you go. Uh, good stuff, Longhorn basketball. Yeah, I think he's right on about the uh, – uh, the movement of Max Acemus and put the ball in his hands and let him run this offense. And that was a challenge for Rodney Terry. We talk about chemistry. You know, you got, you got two point guards, right, essentially, with Tyrese Hunter, who's run the point at Iowa State and here at Texas, and Max Acemus. And I think it was pretty clear that Max Acemus was so much more comfortable with the ball. Uh, Tyrese Hunter has done a fine job playing off ball. And as he said, it does stretch the defense because you have to defend Max Acemus, you know, 30 feet from the basket. And uh, when he's coming off screens, it really opens up the rest of the floor. I also like the idea of, you know, Rodney Terry inserting Kendall Weaver, Mr. High Energy, Mr. Just Makes Good Basketball Plays, into the starting lineup, which gave the Longhorns a jolt on Saturday, I believe. And I think that will stay. And then you bring guys like Brock Cunningham off the bench. I like that. All right, we'll come back. When we do, we'll play some bullish or BS. We'll also back, get back into the Super Bowl conversation. Both the Chiefs and the Niners have arrived in Las Vegas. We'll dive into the big discussions of Super Bowl 58, including Brock Purdy uh, and that whole controversy, or, or at least where he stands as far as really good quarterbacks. I think that's an interesting conversation. But coming next, it's bullish or BS with my tie and myself and you here on Hook'em Up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan. Rod Babers, hook him up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. All right, bullish or BS time. Thank you to Jerry Hamilton talking Texas hoops, a little college football. And uh, let's lead with that there, Ty, into bullish and BS. And I, I asked Jerry at the end of our conversation, I, I do think, and I've been on record on this show saying, I think, you know, this next six months, I think we'll, we'll see some. Uh, you know, I don't know how dramatic, but I do think there will be some some big pushes and big changes coming to college football, at least the push to try to create big change. I think that started Friday with the announcement that the SEC and the Big Ten are forming an advisory group to address these issues. And uh, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey told Ross Dellinger of Yahoo Sports that the formation of the advisory board doesn't represent a move towards a breakaway from the NCAA But he says, from our perspective, we have a lot that is linked to the NCAA. We want to see a healthy national organization. I think that is very much needed. But he added that pressure is mounting and conversation are needed about what might be a path forward uh, for college sports. Uh, Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti echoed Sankey's messages, uh, saying the two conferences have a substantial investment in college sports as a governing body. And as Jerry said, and I think I agree with 100%, this is the first step in these power conferences stepping on and you know moving away from the NCAA uh you know the NCAA is still vital in you know the other sports that are out there right and the other levels of college football in a lot of ways but with the current rules and the current climate there's just no way for the NCAA to to you know to you know legislate what goes on they just don't have the power right now uh are you bullish that this is the first step of several that could lead to you know, the power four conferences now separating and, and creating an alliance and running themselves? I think that's the only way that, that, that college football is going to work moving forward, you know, with, with all the moving parts and NIL and, 
uh, conference realignment that we've talked about, it's, it seems like the NCAA is losing more and more power by, by the day at this point. Uh, agreed. And, um, you know, we just saw Tennessee, right? Tennessee in the crosshairs of the NCAA for some type of recruiting inducement or violation. And, of course, immediately the Attorney, Gu- or Attorney General of Tennessee, you know, files a, a countersuit and lawsuit against the NCAA. So this is what goes on. They lose in court over and over again. Um, you know, the rule book, and they've just, just they continue to lose. Uh, so what's the power? And that's what needs to change, right? The NCAA still would have governing power over the other sports. There's 500-plus athletes at the University of Texas that don't play football. Um, then the NCAA needs to be the governing body. But for college football at the high level, and again, 2024 is the important date and the important year because everything up to now, you know, the new, the new consolidated conferences hadn't formed yet. Well, now they will, right? As of July 1st, the SEC will go to 16, and Texas and OU joins the conference. Uh, the Big 12 will then add Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah, and they'll set in at 16. Uh, Big 10 adds USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon. They'll grow to 18. And, of course, the ACC is adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU. They're going to be at 18 as well. That's 68 schools, Ty. That's 68 teams and four conferences. Uh, it's not crazy to suggest that those four conference commissioners, with the, with the, you know, the blessing of the school presidents, could could combine, and here's the first step of it, with the Big Ten and the SEC forming an, an advisory board, an alliance essentially, to, to discuss the problems that to face all the members of those conferences. It won't take too long before the other two to join as well, and all of a sudden you have an advisory board of four that becomes potentially some type of uh, you know apparatus to create a legislative body of some kind. And I mean, these are the steps that need taken, and as you just said, it's the only way it can survive. It just can't you know, with different state laws and different rules in place and different, you know, teams with different, you know, budgets as far as NIL goes. Uh, it's just, it, it's not a sustainable thing with the transfer portal and the, the inducements that happen. There has to be rules and guardrails put in place. We all agree with that. But the question is, who's going to do it? I do think I'm bullish that this can be the first step towards what needs to happen. Me too. I mean, you got to at least start having the conversation. Hey, let me ask you this, Ty, because I know you've made your uh, – in Bullish or BS, you've made your, uh, your thoughts very clear on Taylor Swift as far as her attractiveness. You don't you think she's uh, not as, as – she's not the prettiest thing for you, right? Opinion, not to be super uh, judgmental. Not, not that she's ugly by any means, but I don't think she's um, as beautiful as she's made out to be. Ooh. Well, she's talented, but let me ask you this. Where are you on Miley Cyrus? I'm more of a Miley Cyrus fan. She's a little – she's a little uh, – like grosser, I'd say, you know, grosser, raunchier kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she she, she's, she's, she's got a lot going on, but I think natural beauty, Miley Cyrus is far, far prettier than Taylor Swift. Well, I will say this. Uh, I was a Miley Cyrus fan, but then last night it took even a step up because she, she was a big winner along with Taylor Swift last night. And she got up there and did her best Tina Turner thing at the Grammy Awards last night. She was wearing, uh, you know, pretty, Pretty revealing dress and skirt and uh, the legs, and she she actually said that she she is she, she never thought she'd perform at the Grammys, but she said she did it because she wants to look back at it today and see how good she looks performing the Grammys. And she looked good. She did she did her best Tina Turner tie. I mean, she stole the show a little bit last night. I thought. Then I'm, I'm gonna have to review the tape on that one. It sounds you're like you're gonna have to. Oh, you didn't watch. That's right. Well, then you're gonna have to because then when she accepted her award for. Uh, what was it? Song of the Year, I believe it was. Uh, she won one of the big ones. Album of the Year went to Taylor Swift. She got up there and uh, um, you know, she said something about her dad. Of course, Billy Ray Cyrus won't be happy that she's not wearing underwear or something along those lines. So to your point of the raunchiness, it was funny. Uh, kind of a good moment. Miley Cyrus is also funny, too. She is. She's, she's, uh, she's yes. I Very think that's boisterous a woman. Yeah, she's kind of in your face, I guess would be the way to put that. <laughs> 
Uh, but so, so Jay-Z was there last night, too, with Beyonce. And he uh, was given a Lifetime Achievement Award, essentially. And he kind of took a shot at uh, the industry a little bit. He was, he was backing up his wife, Beyonce, because she's never won Record of the Year, or Album of the Year, I should say. And some are taking that as she took a, he took a shot at Taylor Swift, who won her fourth Album of the Year Award last night. The Jay-Z was pointing out that Beyonce has won more Grammys than anybody ever, yet has never won Album of the Year. That doesn't seem to add up, but I thought that was a little bit interesting as too. He um, defended his lady last night. Uh, Jay-Z winning that Lifetime Achievement Award. We'll come back. We'll talk more. Bullish or BS? Uh, also, we're talking Super Bowl 58. The Cowboys need a defensive coordinator. Who will it be? Who is your choice? Is it Mike Vrabel? Would it be Ron Rivera? What about Mike Zimmer? Some suggesting Bill Belichick. Is that a possibility? We'll get back into that as well. Let's talk about with Ian Rodby. <laughs> 